RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Okay, it's time for our Legal Hub Wednesday morning here at Reality Check Radio. Last week's Legal Hub was really cool. We had uh, a couple of doctors with us, if you remember rightly, and we were talking about sort of medical slash legal issues. This week, Katie Ashby Coppins, Nona Kearney is off on something else again. Katie is with me for this week's Legal Hub. And Katie, thanks for, for joining me this morning. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for having me. And good morning, everybody. As if we wouldn't have you. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, I'll take that. All right. So um, three things we're looking at this morning. By the way, last week was really interesting. So thank you for, for that. Um, how laws are made. Let's start with that. And is that like how sausage is made? You don't quite want to see it happening. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think it's no? an important okay. part right. of the legal process. Um, and it's, you know, it, 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 it can be quite interesting. Um, it could be a bit like paint drying, but of course we've seen a lot of um, laws change um, or be implemented or pass um, uh, the various processes so quickly in the last few years uh, yeah. that, you know, it doesn't get a chance for even, I think, the ink to dry. Uh, so it is it is quite interesting, but it's always uh, quite good just to get a concept of where things fit um, and how they work and how they operate. And um, just to keep that in mind, because often we just think and hear about things in a silo and not really perceive or understand them in a whole picture. Uh, yeah. And then you can sort of see the different, um, or, or it's just easier to understand uh, where something might be in a process. The production might- line of lawmaking, right? The sausage line of lawmaking. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it starts off with an idea. And uh, yes. people have an idea, usually in a political party, like a remit or something like that. It becomes policy. And is that how it kicks off? Yeah, that's correct. So there's um, three branches of um, of government that really comes down to the uh, creation and application of law. Um, the executive, uh, which is the governor general, the prime minister, cabinet ministers, uh, government departments are... Um, they develop the policy, and that's, I guess, that first idea that you've just mentioned. Uh, they work out an idea for a new law, and um, they turn it into a law, and um, that will often be proposed, will be proposed um, if it gets past that in initial policy phase, um, and uh, it will be introduced to the House um, from or by Parliament, um, which is elected members of parliament, and that will have the first reading. And if it gets past the first reading, uh, it's then sent on to the select committee, where uh, you and I even get to have a say as um, a, a, as citizens of New Zealand, and uh, get the chance to uh, and get the chance to hear uh, the, the debates uh, that the select committee go through in developing, working up that law further. Um, so the select committees uh, is a small group of members of parliament who specialise in certain subjects. And they'll examine Do they specialise? Do they actually specialise in these subjects? I would hope that they would. Yeah. Um, I suspect that you've got, well, you have health select committees, uh, presumably, and I haven't done, and this could be an OIA, perhaps a question could be asked, are all of those that attend and appear on the select committee medically trained or trained in respect of health policies? Mm. That that would be quite a good question to, to ask. Uh, again, um, assumption is the mother of lots of things, um, but I wouldn't want to. Uh, uh, yeah, good question. Yeah, well, sometimes so. you wonder. Sometimes you wonder. That's all. 
You do. You definitely do. I mean, do the people hearing the therapeutic products bill submissions really know what they were listening to? You know. Yeah. Look, that was really fascinating because um, the first time in a lot of the select committee uh, uh, hearings uh, where oral submissions were able to be given, the that was the first time that we actually had the video on for quite some time. They've just had their videos off uh, for the last sort of couple of times before that. So you again had these people involved I found that the three people in the select committee when I appeared um, to talk with uh, this uh, with them about my thoughts on the therapeutic products bill Mm. they did seem quite across the issues but also desperately wedded to them so that they were the decision and everything was predetermined no matter what you said it was going to be irrelevant. And if you said anything against um, the narrative, then you were pretty much cut down in flames pretty quickly. Wow. Okay. Uh, so it wasn't. So, so they but, knew something, but they knew only a particular kind of side of it or were yeah, they, altered to that side of it. Their ears definitely weren't switched on. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, with open minded listening. Okay. Now, that first reading, presumably someone or a team has to sit down and write out the idea in some form that can be formally presented. That'd be quite a job, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I think there's lots of boffins in, in Parliament that sit there and draft legislation um, and, and work up policy. Uh, you know, it's not, I'm sure there is an element of template, things being template driven, but you know, it's quite it's quite convoluted. You've got to come up with your different definitions. You've got to understand how it's going to interact with both this law and other laws. Um, and it's yeah, it, it. I don't know. I think it would be quite fun to do, or at least give a go. I imagine it, it's a very specialist field. Yeah, the, I mean, I, I've got this, uh, you know, uh, vision of you know those old drafting rooms where they design things, and there's like people everywhere with, you know, those those big whiteboards and and square rules and everything like that. I know it's not like that, but it, it kind of conjures that up. Um, so that's what policy analysts do, is it? Is that where they come in? So they have uh, to go through, is that how that works? Yeah, look, the policy um, analysts are uh, probably more at that development level, um, determine the policy, outline what's needed, and then your drafters are, are quite a different, distinct group of people that sit down and and, and uh, prepare and write the uh, write the legislation, write the bill in light of what the policy is. Yeah, and that would so have to go through some sort of checking system, wouldn't it, as well? Because you, you, I mean, you can't afford to get much wrong even at the early stage. I take it. Yeah, and look, there there often ends up being a lot of debate, and you'll be able to see lots of commentary. And when uh, bills are tabled uh, and passed through their various readings. You'll see significant debate often given by various members of parliament who either are for, against, or uh, I can't, can't imagine that you'd be doing submissions if, if you weren't worried or um, for the bill. So you know you could you could definitely see there, and you can see what they say, which is interesting too. So that's often accompanies uh, the bill when it gets through the first reading, and you get the chance to make submissions on it. You wouldn't want to make submissions or you wouldn't be bothered to make submissions um, on a bill that everyone supported <laughs> and you were supporting. I mean, there'd be no point in that. There'd only be a, a point if you were opposing it or had a problem with it, I, I take it. 
you're more likely to make submissions if you don't agree with it, but it certainly can't hurt making submissions if you do agree with it, or it could be improved upon further in your view. Mm. Uh, So possibly less people um, making comment when they're for a bill, but it's always a good uh, sign of democracy if you've got uh, a chance, you've got people putting in for, which we'd say yay, or um, being objectives, objectives and, and saying nay. So that submission process is available and that um, happens. And then I guess they what, boil down the feedback, render it down back to the drafting boffins in the back room to sort of incorporate and modify the original yeah. idea. Is that is that what happens? Yeah, that's that's and they'll continue to work it up. Um presumably under the management of the select committee. Uh, but there's no doubt some extra processes that are going on there. Um, yeah, it's um, it's that, that's how a, a bill comes into being. And then there's various stages, uh, first reading, second reading, and I think third reading. Uh, and then um, once it's passed all of those readings, uh, then it passes it, uh, it'll pass into law and it will receive a royal assent and it becomes a statute or um, an act. Right. And then it's done. And then it's done. So in the last uh, couple of years, we've seen a lot of things um, happening under urgency and emergency. um, And a lot of that's actually circumvented the ordinary processes and typical processes. Uh, And the other thing too, is we can see a lot of uh, legislation passing into um, Oh, sorry, a lot of bills passing into legislation uh, because we've got a, um, a majority Labour government so they can uh, approve or yay bills on the way through much um, easier with a majority government than you can where there is a split uh, powers within the government. No negotiation required. Exactly right. Um, so you don't have to negotiate negotiation can be in all sorts of forms but you know you have to do a lot more work to get a particular bill up if it's a contentious one boy they must have been loving the last three years then well i think you can see that by the number of bills that are being passed and then you know the uh, uh ten uh, three waters is i think a, a, a telling example of that what was it another 300 pages of amendments tabled yep. today or oh, sorry this week so look it's it's very um yeah it's just a, it's just a sign of where things are at with this uh majority uh and majority labor government so what do we read into urgency because there's things that need to be done urgently i get all that but it seems that you just mentioned that it's been a regular feature yeah not not, not so much in the past so is this all a mad dash to get everything done before you might um, lose the ability to do it after a certain date. Um, what what would the reason, I mean, we may or may not know, but or we might be able to read into what's been happening, a reason, but to use that so often, because that does surely circumvent the normal process and the time and the reflection time that you should have when considering these things. I don't know. Yeah, look, uh, we did... I don't know if you recall last year, I think it was in November, there were 23 uh, bills that were proposed and all to be done under urgency. And I think that government ended up sitting, was it nearly two days straight, including throughout the night? Yeah, poor things. 
uh, that was um, under the guise of, I think, the Queen's death at that stage. Um, but we've had, you know, a raft of reasons for emergency and urgency over the last four years. Uh, and we've had a significant number of uh, pieces of legislation or bills passed uh, under the guise of that. Uh, but we've seen a, um, a sign that there has been more and more uses of emergency in order to be able to get legislation through without uh, having a whole lot of MPs sitting in Parliament asking questions. Okay, so that limits the debate, the public debate. Yeah, and in some cases we haven't even had the chance for people to give submissions on a piece of legislation because it's been rammed through so quickly. So the whole democratic uh, process around a bill um, and uh, I guess you could say negotiating a bill um, is lost. Yeah. So should we be concerned about that, do you think? Well, yes, we've got pieces of legislation that are coming in, such as the Extreme um, Weather Bill, uh, which became an act very, very quickly, and we had those uh, quite incredible coordinate legislation to amend um, other and uh, more high-ranked legislation. So it's, 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 yeah, it is to be worried about it. It's, it ignores democracy. It really does. It's kind of a milking of the system. It's the m- making the rules up. Oh. And uh, and and look, it's not apply. It's not applying the due process. Yeah, there's been a bit of that lately. Yeah, and look, it's it's something to keep in mind. And uh, there has been this, or I wouldn't, could you say, arrogance with um, the passing of the legislation, but it's it's been done in such a way of, uh, well, the process doesn't really matter. I'm right. Right, which is not democracy in the end, is it? No, it's not that. That's not the. No, it's another word starting with D. <laughs> yeah, yeah, another one. All right, so that's how the laws are made, and once they're done, you've got to go through a whole other system of undoing them or modifying them. I take it, uh, or amending them. So amending, the. Yeah. Executive will um, will often draft the bills, as we've touched on. They'll publish the laws uh, so that they're formally announced, um, and they'll make sure that everything was written down. So okay, that's executive. very important. So that's talking yeah. about bills and legislation. But then we've got another, uh, so that was Parliament and the Executive. Yep. And then now we've got the third, which a branch of government, which is where we started out talking today, and that's the judiciary. Um, so that's the... Um, third branch of government, uh, or third or second, third. Uh, and it's made up of uh, New Zealand judges and judicial officers that will be applying the law. And they could be applying the legislation, or if something's not um, uh, covered in legislation, and uh, th- then they'll be applying uh, case law, which is uh, laws that are determined or come about through previous cases on similar issues or that uh, determine or uh, come up with certain legal concepts or constructs and uh, that um, uh, ju- those judges will be applying that. So that's uh, you know an, a- another type of law and another place where law comes from. And so that refines and tests those laws over time, right, and uh, establishes precedents and interpretations and mm-hmm. things and like can, that. It can do that in respect to legislation, but it can also do that where there is no legislation. Right. So not everything is le- not everything that's dealt with in court is legislated. 
Um, but many things are. So if you've got crimes uh, uh, and it's a offence under the Crimes Act, which generally crimes have to be, uh, then the uh, case law can be used to interpret uh, and apply particular scenarios to that legislation. Mm -hmm. uh, but certainly there's not legislation for every different issue. So we've got things like tort and uh, negligence and the like where case law will be applied. So previous presidential decisions on matters. Okay. Is there anything more we need to know about how laws are made? I don't think so. Okay. All right. Let's get on to this one because I think we're going to see more and more of this. And I think this is a story that featured in our Newsbyte service, which folks you can access by becoming a member. Go to the website, go to the member page, sign up, and you'll get this in your inbox every weekday. And it's really quite a cool feature of uh, Reality Check Radio Newsbytes. Okay, story from that. Legalities of Taco Bell going cashless. Mm. Hmm. So I think everybody is quite aware that there is a reduction in the use of uh, cash, uh, that's both in practice, but also by desire. And uh, we're seeing a situation where uh, cash is being refused at certain uh, places. And uh, ordinarily, in certain businesses, you could see a situation where a business could say, I'm going to specify uh, to you the method of payment. And if you're not prepared to pay by that way, then... Uh, you know, tough. You miss out on on the item that you want, and so this is a situation on your Taco Bell. <laughs> in this case. Yeah, um, it's a terrible example because um, it is Taco Bell, and I don't think Taco Bell's that uh, big in New Zealand. It's certainly more an American thing. Uh, but here we've got Taco Bell saying, "No, uh, we're not dealing with cash anymore. We presumably are only dealing in electronic transactions, be it by card, phone, or any other." Um, electronic means uh, that they have specified. So the situation with Taco Bell is Taco Bell is saying, well, you know, our item's not essential and uh, we're going to specify that as a term of engaging with us, i.e. we form a contract when you walk in through our front doors or drive through our drive through and put your order in. That's a contract whereby uh, they offer food or a Taco Bell in this case and uh you um, uh, wish to buy it, uh, so you agree to buy it, and then uh, payment is made. So this is fine. That you know, that's Taco Bell can determine that. I think where it's going to be different though is whether or not, uh, and the assessment will come down to whether or not Taco Bell is an essential service. Uh, I would hope not. I'd say there's much better uh, nutritional options around uh, than at than Taco Bell, but. Here is a situation where, uh, because they're not essential, that they can specify the form of payment. But I think in the case of a supermarket and the like, until uh, cash is outlawed, if I can say that that way, uh, a supermarket would always have to accept cash because uh, they are an essential service. And I think that that's going to come down to where the definition uh, probably yeah. lies as to those services which can specify the form of payment and those which can't. And because it's an essential service, it's um, it's a slightly different arrangement to that, which is a contract with Taco Bell and their patrons who are traveling through. Then we have to define very clearly and 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 more with more and more resolution as this goes on, what is essential? 
obviously a, pri- a primary food business like a supermarket. But, um, I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, there are a lot of people homeless on the street now, and a lot of them get given cash by people in the street. I know, I've given cash. And they'll go into a night and day store or whatever is convenient around them, and they'll spend that cash hopefully on food, but probably on tobacco and all sorts of things, whatever. They are unlikely as time goes on to be, you know, um, unless someone sets a bank account up for them and puts the money in there and does everything. You know, how, how do you, I know we're getting down to the sort of the street level here, but how do you function without cash? Look, and, and there's certainly a lot of comments around um, that are floating about in the public arena about uh, people who are dependent on um, cash support uh, by you know holding their hand out and um, you know asking uh, people around them for money. They're now saying that you know it takes them three times longer to be able to raise that amount because they are simply just not the cash available, which goes to the first point. We've got a yeah. much different way of behaviour. Uh, but yes, it's it's certainly going to come down to an analysis of what's essential so that that you know person can use whatever cash that they do get to be able to buy services that are essential. And it might be that you know supermarkets stop dealing or stop selling in tobacco, and uh, you know a person can no longer get tobacco from a supermarket, and therefore does something essential become you know, a, super, a service station where tobacco might be still available? Mm, uh, for, then, cash. Yeah, for cash. For cash, yeah. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting one and uh, one that I think that's going to be quite uh, problematic for the su- uh, su- supermarkets and the like um, if these laws or if, if, if cash became illegal. Getting back to lawmaking, it wouldn't be that hard to make a law that says – even if you're grumpy, even if it costs you money to handle cash, sorry, you have to be able to trade in cash. End of story. Yeah. Um, I haven't thought about that, Paul. Um, no, but it wouldn't be presume- difficult to do because uh, you could say that this is an essential service in of itself. Well, after the last four years, it looks like you can make up a law just about anything. I know, but you know, you know what I'm saying. But look, yeah. Um, just take the will to do it. And I don't think people would object because they do see the limiting factor of it. Even if they are more using electronic themselves, you always want an out if if you need it. Well, how many times have you been to a place and the power's out or um, the FPOS machine's gone down or the internet or the phone line upon which it relies has gone down and the business essentially says, well, I'll only take cash. Yeah. Sorry, and, and, and most people are walking out the door because they don't have any on them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I wonder if uh, if 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 you make if people are making laws, they could make that law. That, that's for sure. But we'll, yeah, we'll correct. See. And you see that. Well, you know what? Approach the policy group um, and and see how you get on. That's the executive branch of the government. And, yeah, but uh, they know that uh, digital currency is a great control mechanism. So I, I'm I'm sus- suspecting that they quite like the idea of that. That's that could be very true. Could be. All right. So that's Taco Bell. Not huge, but I mean, if you, you know, if that was McDonald's or KFC, now you're talking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Taco Bell is just one of the many examples. I think uh, Boost Juice went uh, cashless uh, okay. not not long ago, uh, and it really is going to come down to 
um, I think whether or not these places are essential services such as you know pharmacies, uh, supermarkets, um, yeah. You know, and then again, who gets to decide what's essential? Because something essential to one person might be not essential to another. So a bit That's the curly question. What is essential? Mm. Yeah. My essential might not be your essential and vice versa. Okay. Great. Okay. Now, this is another interesting area. And um, I'm picking this will turn potentially the whole uh, idea of copyright, intellectual property, et cetera, on its head. And this is um, AI. Why are we talking about AI here? Mm, so this is really interesting. So if you make or create something um, and it's, uh, you know, I guess unique or original um, and that's that's yours, you have intellectual property in that in the form of um, IP rights. Uh, artists, you see it a lot. Uh, they have spent hours creating their works and they own they own it. Hmm. We're seeing now um, in a uh, with, with the um, advent of AI, and particularly in uh, relation to uh, the AI that works uh, on uh, generating uh, art yep. or images. It needs a base to be put into it, or base information in order for it to create its um, database or information on which it bases and creates things from. So we've got a really interesting situation where uh, the woman, Carla Ortiz, uh, who's a concept artist who has done, you know, the things such as Black Panther, Avengers, Infinity War, Thor. Um, she's done a lot in this area of creating beautiful works um, that everybody knows and uh, she's just recently learned that uh, a lot of her art was put into uh, AI systems um, to be able to generate the base layer, essentially, of works to be created uh, for somebody who wants to use that AI program and, say, replicate work similar to hers. So she's, uh, and her and a couple of other artists have uh, sued uh, what is called Stability AI, Mid-Journey and Deviant Art, um, for using their work to train the generative AI systems to uh, make uh, artwork that's based on on their work. In so, the style of their work, right? In um, the style of their work, but presumably anything such as, you know, man moves through a room holding a blade. Yeah, uh, you know that could form the basis or, or be the basis of one of their images or her images, and you know she's not getting paid for it. She's put the IP in. The machine might not, the AI machinery might not have had that uh, in it um, as as a something it could program or or create mm. a piece of work off had it mm. not been for her work. So it presumably wouldn't have been able to come into existence. So. It is a very, very interesting case, very early days. I suspect that it's going to be something that is a launch pad for lots of other works, uh, music, written, uh, and it's going to be a question of, you know, what then is the AI systems going to put on top of it to effectively uh, hide or blur uh, what they've relied upon to create create the works. Well, it can't, it can't hide or blur too much, otherwise you wouldn't see the style that, is being applied to it. I'm presuming that um, you know the business model of this is 
that someone pays to access that, you know, machine learning uh, to create something of that they think of, but using the, you know, fundamental IP of someone else, and Hmm. that will be a saleable item. So, yeah. So that's where the the issue comes in on on who owns what, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. Like you might have a situation where someone comes to um, a, 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 a group and says, "I want you to do me a logo for my business. I'm going to pay you fifteen thousand dollars, and uh, I'd like a logo. Would like it to be a bit bit round, maybe with some sort of line through it. Um, but I'll leave it up to you because you've got the artistic license." Uh, that that company goes away, pops the um, <laughs> brief into yeah. one of no the artistic art license, artistic <laughs> license, but no art used. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, somebody else's art used. Yeah, well, um, yeah. and they you know st- pop it into the Stability AI or Mid Journey or Deviant Art and um, Zingo, voila, uh, you know something that might have ordinarily taken weeks and months of. Uh, consideration, thinking, and and then a, and a beautiful presentation to show off these various logos now takes you know two point three seconds because the thing is though you wouldn't need an, a middle man or a middle company to do that. You could presumably do that from home and 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 put in the parameters. And uh, part of the machine learning is understanding the parameters that are being inputted as well. And you could have something completely finished, a whole suite of stuff, like you say, in seconds, without anyone thinking it through without any sort of um, creative department input into it, you know, that that whole layer could be completely erased as well. Yeah, correct. And so the thing that's probably quite offensive here is that not just the, um, well, it's it, the person that's presumably using those systems to generate the logo uh, is presumably paid uh, to use the AI systems to generate it. And so then you've got the situation that the AI, uh, the company that, um, invented the AI program or is operating it is then uh, receiving a financial benefit yeah, when yeah. all along they used um, uh, Carla Ortiz's uh, work uh, in relation to a whole lot of Avenger uh, characters that she used. You know, it's 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 where it's coming from. So, Well, I'm thinking, not to make this about me, but I've got, I've got a distinctive voice, okay? And um, you know, uh, and and certain voices can be very persuasive. So you 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 choose voices to persuade people. Now it's very mm. easy to take a voice print. Now I've heard I've heard them, and they're very accurate, and they're only going to get more organic and accurate. Now I'm waiting for the day where I hear me telling me something that I didn't know I'd said. You know, because someone yeah. said, "Hey, I like that voice." and don't know who he is or anything. We'll just have put that in. Okay, here's the words that are that need to be said. You know, uh, might be advertisement or uh, espousing some sort of idea or whatever. You just don't know. I mean, how do you police that? Well, this is where it's all going to. How do you own yourself in that situation? And this is where AI and and this kind of work is really testing um, original um, intellectual property ownership concepts. Um, and you know, we've seen it before and we've got a real problems with AI. I think we've talked about AI before and the fact that, uh, you know, there are no laws or regulations that are being put into AI, but yet we've got this global push for censorship um, of online uh, content. The better effort right now would be actually, you know, creating and working that, that global um, effort be put into creating a good strong regulations around AI and in the form of, you know, 
perhaps providing AI robots with an ethical conscience, um, <laughs> although we don't want them to have a conscience because all of a sudden no. they have a Terminator. Um, you know, it's it's a really, really interesting situation. And what are we going to do about respecting IP? Look, laws, things do change because, um, uh, and laws have to change to keep up with them. They're often reactionary as opposed to, uh, you know, thinking about things in a front. Uh, but, you know, litigation's not cheap as well. So if I imagine that uh, Carla Ortiz is, is very well and financially um, uh, supported, or, or sorry, is financially well off because of the work that she's done, but now all of her work um, and, and future work could be lost because she's not getting royalties off her work because, you know, the AI system's now pinching yeah, I mean, and borrowing all with the what you with, with your business, I'm just thinking, sorry to jump in, but... What what if you know AI can write me a legal brief in one minute, based on yeah. every bit of case law that exists in every jurisdiction that's ever been? That's possible, right? Look, it it, it could be. I I haven't had a go on um uh, of any of these AI systems, but my understanding. Well, it's early is- days, but this is you know we got to think of these things. Yeah, that deal with um pink lollipops, and the computer can go right around the world. Because it's got all of these databases that it can and, and um, tap into, and it can find all legislation from every country that's got legislation on pink lollipops. That's going to be much quicker than uh, yeah, someone down. reaching out to try and find yeah. all of the different jurisdictions that have pink lollipops in legislation. Yeah, gosh, it's freaky actually when you think about it. In the the time in which it could happen, because of course, someone doing that manually. Um, would be days, potentially weeks. Yeah, how's yeah. that pink lollipops thing coming along? Yeah, I'm still going. <laughs> Three weeks I'm, later. I'm only at Algeria, yeah. uh, and I've started off in the countries alphabetically. Yeah, that's right. Not even out of the A's. Yeah. Okay, so um, mm, that's, a, that's a lot to think about. All right, well, those are three pretty interesting topics in this week's Legal Hub, um, flying solo. Hopefully Nick will be back uh, next week, and we can – be back up to full power again uh, on the legal hub. Any um, last words on those three topics that we've been chatting about before we wind it up? I think that's it. I hope everyone has a lovely day and I will look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. Take care. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.